Toronto a number of times. Yeah, I reckon I've been here 15 times, I think. Wow. I used to come out to play at the Busker Festival. Right, okay. So as a busker? As a busker, yeah. I was um, a fellow Australian band actually named Oka, who were an indigenous band from Australia. They used to come out and do that festival. And when I was first wanting to come to Canada, about 10 years ago, um, they said you got to do this because it might be hard to get into, you know, some of the other blues or folk festivals. So I got an induction into the Toronto Busker Festival and stood out on the street playing guitar for five days, 12 in the morning till 12 at night, and got to sell all my CDs and make a bunch of fans. Um, what, what did you do? A lot of busking in Australia. No, that was actually my induction to busking. Okay, so what was that like to become a busker? Um, it, it was kind of scary, but it's, it's very much like the best way to learn something is just to do it. So I learned a lot in the first few hours and then got better and better throughout the five days of the first festival. And then I came back every year for five years, I think, and hopefully got better, you know. But, the, but the, I mean, I guess it's a little different when it's a busker festival, but to busk in the street, if that's the right term, it's a tough thing to do, I would presume, because people are just walking by, going to where they, they want to go, and you have to capture their attention. You, f- you find out pretty quick what um, makes people stop and what doesn't. And for me, I guess there's two very distinct parts of my show. It's almost like one song will be a very flashy um, dynamic guitar piece and then the next song will be more of a soft singer songwriter strumming or picking piece and I realized that if I was you know pouring my heart out um, with a softer singer songwriter piece everyone would just walk by but if I started you know slapping the guitar around and doing all the crazy sort of um, you know pyrotechnics on the guitar then people haven't seen that you know your average person walking down Young Street hasn't seen that before and so they'll often stop and stop their friend and start filming it show some people get a CD um, probably a lot of those people will be at the show tonight. Um, how do you define what you do? I, like, if I was to put, like, if I just met you on the plane and we're sitting each other, next to each other, and I said, "You're a musician. What kind of music do you play, or what do you do?" How would you describe yourself to me? It's it's a hard question to answer, but I like just I like using the very broad term of acoustic solo music in that. Being just one person and one guitar means you can sort of fly through different genres or different moods, sort of song for song. You know, you can play a blues song and then you can play a pop song and then you can play a ballad. Um, Whereas in a band, it's kind of more like people, you know, bands have their own distinct style that they've forged together over a period of time. But as a solo acoustic artist, um, it's not so much of a genre. It's more of just a small selection of tools you apply to whatever you're trying to do in that song. I guess I usually say, um, I, I don't usually answer that question very well, but I would say um, singer-songwriter, guitar player, with an emphasis on some weird guitar techniques. <laughs> <laughs> Where does that weird guitar techniques come from? I mean, do you, was there somebody you modeled yourself after or like the percussive playing that you do? Is there somebody that you saw and said, I want to learn how to do that? Or does it just come from you? Or how does that start? I think it was a, it, it kind of came from the instrument in the way that when I was a, a child and then a teenager, I was a classical guitar player. And I studied quite um, 
quite hard and quite seriously as a, as a classical player. And that's one style of the guitar world that is very, um, you know, it's been around for centuries and it's been very like deeply looked into on almost like an academic level. So there's classical composers um, have really looked at the guitar and, and tried to bring out every possibility that's, that's in that instrument. And so as much as I loved playing it, I realised after a long time that I could play this instrument for another 50 years. This is the nylon string guitar I'm talking about and still never get as good as Segovia did 80 years ago, you know, and not 80 years ago. But, um, and, and also that it just would probably never really sound like me, like as, as well, as, you know, no, no matter how good I got at playing it, it would never really sound like me. And so I sort of looked at the steel string guitar that my dad was playing and some of my friends was playing. And that's an instrument that's been around for, you know, maybe a little over 100 years. And it's been mostly outside of a few different genres and players. It's been mostly sort of behind the song um, in, in, you know, more, more popular music. And so the actual uh, potential of the sounds coming out of the instrument haven't been looked at in the same depth as the classical guitar had. So I found more room to move into in that instrument and from there it's it was it, it's two cases it was a case of watching a few players like definitely Michael Hedges when I saw him he used some some techniques that I hadn't seen and I thought you know I could steal that and then definitely Tommy Emmanuel coming from Australia he does some of the percussive stuff and he uses some different dynamic things that I like and so stealing tricks from these guys Don Ross Andy McKee and then also just learning from the instrument yourself and and applying a lot of trial and error a lot of just hitting the guitar in certain places and working out if it sounds good or if it doesn't and try to apply that to the next song you come up with. Because it's, it's, it's a different thing. It's like, you, you know, we're, I always talk to musicians about learning a craft, learning how to play the guitar, learning how to sing, learning how to write songs. I mean, you have to do all that. And now you add this other element of learning how to play percussion on your guitar. And that's, a little more not that it hasn't been done but it you know it's a little more unique in the way that the way you play it um it's almost like you have your guitar is your drum machine or so so you'll have to learn that and learn how to be a percussionist right yeah i mean it is more an extension of the guitar playing than a separate instrument um a lot of the percussive parts do come and fit in between different um guitar mm -hmm. parts um, but a lot of it is just, yeah, a, a lot of it really is just messing around and, and eventually coming up with something that's cool. And right. a lot of it isn't really learning. It's just kind of trying and stumbling upon. Which is also learning. Yeah, 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 yeah sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I would think that, you know, also having some, whether it be discipline or not, um, you have to find a balance so that you just don't go crazy, you know, bashing the guitar around, that it has to add to the song as opposed to be a distraction to the song. Yeah, and that's something that I'm still learning. You know, it's something that uh, certainly when I was younger, if you had have seen my shows when I was 18, there was a lot more just, um, you know, over-the-top, maybe inappropriate sort of guitar smashing. Mm -hmm. um, whereas now it's sort of, really trying to control it and work out when you really do need to learn it, uh, use it, sorry, and when perhaps you might have just been using it to impress yourself or, or try to impress other people. But, yeah, it's a constant thing of 
of learning, getting your hands to learn it and, and getting your brain to tell your hands when to use it and when not to. Now, is it like a guitar solo? Is it different? Like, I don't know if your guitar solo is all planned out, but I presume not, that every any given night you play a song a little differently mm -hmm. based on how you feel. And so is your playing, the percussive playing that you do on your guitar, is that pretty improvisational? Is it different per, per night or is it pretty structured? It's it's very structured. Oh. Yeah, it, beca because most of them are built in into parts. So there'll be like a a riff slash rhythm that I would compare to... Um, if you listen to like the beat makers in in hip hop at the moment, you know mm -hmm. the people that are making beats for for Drake or Kendrick or those guys. A lot of those will be almost like mathematically structured beat. You know, there'll be the the bass kicking, dun dun, and and then there'll be something else on a higher level, and then there'll be the you know the piano playing you know a triplet over the top or something like that. Right. And so most of the guitar parts that are percussive parts. Uh, structured like that so that it, it, none of them can work without the others and it can't really be changed. I mean, I'd have to be really in the groove and really playing well to, to change anything and make it work. I'd kind of have to practice changing it right. rather than just change it night for night. Okay. Um, I'm talking to Daniel Champagne, who is on this crazy Cross Canada tour. Uh, you started in the beginning of this month, I believe, in in the West Coast, mm -hmm. in Vancouver Island, and now you're making your way out to Newfoundland. Yeah. <laughs> um, how many days are you actually doing? I think it's uh, 32, it shows in 32 days, uh, Vancouver Island to Newfoundland. Wow. So is this crazy or not crazy? Because it, it seems like a very aggressive schedule to me. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy when you say it seems crazy. If, if I hadn't done what I've already done, then it would be crazy. You know, if I had said to myself six years ago, you've got to do this tour, then it would be a bit much. But I've done some pretty, um, you know, like some of the American tours have probably been like that, that or like 50 shows in 50 days or those sort of things. But it sounds crazy when you say 32 shows in 32 days in the winter. But when you say, I'm going to wake up today and I'm going to drive five hours and I'm going to play in Ottawa. Then I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to drive three hours and play in Montreal. When you actually break it down to what you're doing every day, it's not crazy. It's just um, something fun to do. <laughs> but, I mean, we're talking like the whole width of Canada. So it's not just a matter of driving. You're also having to deal with plane schedules and mm -hmm. other schedules and making sure you get to places on time. And and I always find it weird when when people wrote their tours and like you played Winnipeg not too long ago and then you made your way back to Calgary yeah. and then came back to Toronto. Um, I guess that doesn't even bother you. It's just logistics, right? Yeah, that, um, this is a boring thing to explain, but that is a logistical thing of just whenever you hire a car, you want to drop it off where you pick it up. Mm -hmm. And so it worked out to fly from Vancouver to Calgary, loop the prairies back around to Calgary, drop the car back off, fly to Toronto. So that was all that was. The the fact of like driving, you know, out to Winnipeg isn't a big deal. I, I just didn't really want to drive Winnipeg to Toronto. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is a big country. Yeah. So um, you've been here a number of times. How's this tour going? It's going incredibly well. So is that based on the fact that you've invested time in the past and toured 
extensively in Canada and you've, you've built your own um, audience base? I, th- I think it's two things. I think that, um, yeah, it's the fact that I've been touring for a long time here and I've individually kind of convinced a lot of separate people that are starting to kind of come together. Mm-hmm. And it's also just that now, particularly my generation, are so wired into um, to social media that if you work out how, who you want to connect with and, and how to connect with them, then it is getting a lot easier to be like, for an independent artist like me who's no big artist, you know, it's very easy for Bruce Springsteen to put a billboard in Dundas Square right. and everybody knows he's got a tour. Um, but for a small artist like me, I feel like it's getting easier through social media to to be like, hey, I'm in, you know, Montreal on Tuesday, I'm playing this small club. The 150 people that know of my music in Montreal, you should come along. And it's easier to target those people and, and get them along. And then what from there, it's it's easier for them to help you out and spread that to their friends and their families and sort of get it snowballing from that. Right. Um, so it's a really cool thing for me to see um, somebody that's not, you know, spending any money on marketing and doesn't have, you know, big publicists or agencies. It's a cool thing to um, to see it sort of really starting to come together. So if we step back a little bit, mm-hmm. where in Australia do you come from? I was, I was born in Melbourne, mm-hmm. um, but when I was four, we moved up to the south coast of New South Wales. So it's um, on the border of Victoria and New South Wales, about six hours south of Sydney, about eight hours north of Melbourne, right on the coast. And your dad is a musician? Yeah, he's not by trade anymore. So he's a, he, he is a singer-songwriter and guitar player. Um, my first memories of anything were in Melbourne when I was four watching his band rehearse in the backyard. Um, and he still plays and he writes songs and whenever I'm back we jam, but he doesn't perform very much anymore. Um, now his main job is he's a permaculture design teacher. So he's mostly in the garden and in the field growing, growing food and teaching people. And then you decided to pursue classical music because your dad thought it was a good thing or is this because of your own love of music that you went for classical lessons? Well, so my dad was my first teacher when I was about five or six. And then he sent me to a very close family friend, a guy named Dave Croden, who's kind of, um, Dave is a, he's just this kind of musical guru of the South Coast. And he's taught a lot of, I don't know if you ever heard of Kim Churchill, but me and Kim learnt together and Kim's also now touring the world and doing really great things. Um, But there's a whole bunch of really cool guitar players that Dave's sort of taught and sent out in the world. And I think, Dave taught me a lot of things, like he taught me, you know, just a lot of pop songs, um, some blues stuff, some jazz stuff, some heavy metal stuff. But I think when he said, when I was about seven or eight, that I should try and do classical as a thing, um, not as the only thing, but as a thing, then I trusted him enough to um, to want to do it. And then I respected him enough to work as hard as I could at trying to trying to please him and I question now whether I really liked classical music that much. I think as a kid, it's like you just kind of like what you're good at. You know, if you're good at soccer, you like playing soccer. If you're good at video games, you like playing video games. Right. Um, so I, I I liked doing it because I was kind of passing all the all the benchmarks. You know, um, and I think it's very good for my hands. I don't play any classical music anymore, but I think it's still all somewhere in the in the fingers. So you don't apply any of that into your show. I I think people. I think there's a lot that I don't realise because people do come up after a show often and say, you know, you must have learnt classical guitar. Probably there's a lot of right-hand stuff that, you know, weird 
weird right hand patterns and, mm-hmm. and things that maybe I throw in even just while I'm tuning or in intros that, that probably give it away. But um, I don't consciously apply it to, to many songs. Can you see a time when that would happen or you just don't see it that way? I think there, I think there would. I think I'd have to go back and sort of play it a little bit more. There's something hard about picking up a piece of music and that you could play much better 10 years ago than you can now. Um, so I would have to really like, yeah, spend a bit of time in going back. But I've, I've actually been, I don't know if you ever heard that guy, Sun Kill Moon is his, mm-hmm. like I love, I was listening to him recently and I love that, you know, he's playing like full classical guitar yeah, yeah. And, and singing over the top and to a different degree, Jose Gonzalez, I really love him and he's doing kind of a similar, similar thing with a bit more groove. So when you decided to give up classical but continue with music, what were you drawn to? Like which, which way did you go musically? Um, I, was, I was drawn to playing lead guitar. So there was, I was drawn to playing lead guitar. I loved Jimi Hendrix and I loved Eric Clapton. Um, but I was drawn to singing pop music the girls would like. <laughs> so it was very... For a long time I... So, does I, it have anything to do with girls? <laughs> for for a long time, I um. I, I I would have to be in front of a band. Like when I was in high school, I would have to have a band behind me to pull off a interesting guitar thing and a vocal thing. And it wasn't until the end of high school that I really started discovering, you know, all the all the open tunings and all these different techniques and grooves that I could use to to put into you know what's now become my show which is the ultimate intention is to be just one voice and one guitar but to have a lot of interesting things happening through mm. through both of those sections so but you were with a band how how easy was it to decide that i was i'm going to be a solo artist um i think my bands just kept on breaking up <laughs> <laughs> something you said yeah i don't know um no i think i think that when i when i started writing songs um, I would, I would fill all the space with the guitar. And so it, it, it became a lot easier for me to just play them by myself than to try and create space or to get other people to learn them. And, um, and that's still kind of how it is. You know, people ask me every day, you know, if I'd ever play with a band and the answer is I, I would, but I would have to write differently just because my songs at the moment the spaces that are in them are filled by the guitar already. So I would have to write more spacious songs for other musicians to fill in. That's interesting that you say that about um, working on your own or working with a band. But I do notice that on the video that you have on your website, um, it is a band piece. Mm-hmm. Um, All of My Stars, is that what it's called? Uh, yep. So... Tell me about that. So if you're thinking that you're a solo artist, you're touring as a solo artist, you record an album and then you use a band, obviously not for the whole entire album, but Mm -hmm. for some of it, and then you issue an official video which has a band in it. What's Mm -hmm. the thinking behind that? Well, there was a very clear intention to make um, the album a very different thing to what the live show is. Um, Because ultimately they are, you know, recorded art and live art are different art forms and for a long time I think I got frustrated that I could pull off what I felt were really um, dynamic powerful live shows 
and I felt that when I recorded that same thing on an album, it, it didn't come across the same way. And a realization after talking to a thousand guitar players and, and different friends about it is that I feel like guitar, and this is a hard thing for a guitar player to say, but I feel like guitar, or maybe it's just my style of guitar playing, is much more interesting to watch than it is to just listen to often. Okay. Um, because often, I guess, when it's all the... A lot of it is, you know, in the visual um, and, and, you know, the, the, the visual passion that's kind of going into it and everything. Um, and I also, I also like the fact that songs can live in two different worlds. You know, a song can be very different tonight when I play it by myself and then when we went in to record it or when people listen to it on the album, it's got a, got a string section that we arranged or it's got a, a rhythm section behind it or a female singing with me. Um, but yeah, I do like the idea of um, getting to exercise your kind of creative powers separately when you're in a studio as to when you're on a stage. But what if that song just took off and became like a huge viral hit? Mm -hmm. um, it's a beautiful video. It's really well done. Um, it's getting a bunch of views and I presume will continue to do so. And it's a great song. So if it also becomes a hit of some kind, mm -hmm. would that change your thinking at all? Like, would you have to then think about touring with a band? I, I don't think so. Okay. I think maybe I'd have to think a little more about it. But, um, and obviously it's different when that can, if that were to come up. But mm -hmm. um, I don't, I think I could still, I, th I feel like I could pull off big shows as an acoustic artist. And then when you play that song live, I mean, it must be a little different than mm -hmm. what we see, but people recognize it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, um, I think that riff is pretty distinctive, but when I play it live, it's, it's like this weird, it's this really fast finger style version. Um, but people recognize it straight away. So you decide that you want to be a pop singer, guitar, percussive guitar player. Um, what made you... So what was the goal back then to try to establish your name in Australia? Like, I'm, I'm just curious as to how you decided to um, tour the world and what led to that. Well, when I finished high school, I was 18 and that was, you know, a lot of my friends were going off to university or they, you know, were studying apprenticeships or they decided what they wanted to do. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew that music was what I enjoyed doing the most. So I just figured that I just kind of try and do that. And the only goal back then was to just not have to do anything else. That was basically the goal. Good um, goal. To not have to work in a cafe or whatever. Right. Um, so how much was your dad's past occupation as a musician influential in that decision? Or how supportive was he in that decision? Um, I'd say him, yeah, my parents were very supportive. Uh, I think for all of our kids, uh, for all of, I'm one of five. Right. Um, and I think they were very much, you know, do what you need to do and we'll help you ever, just ask us if you need help. But, um, you know, you go and make your own mistakes if you're going to make them or, you know. Um, I'd, I'd say his, his musical uh, experience was, was not a big factor for, okay. me, for me, I don't think. Um, I think that, yeah, I just wanted to, yeah, I, I just, that was my favorite thing to do. And so I figured I'd do that for as long as I could. And 
there was not a plan and I don't I really realistically didn't think I'd be able to keep doing it I thought maybe I'd be able to do it for six months and then realize that I had to go to university or do something else um but it really was just and young artists that are trying to do it now they ask me all the time um but I and I and this is an answer that that no one really likes but it really was just one thing gradually leading to another mm-hmm. you know um yeah and and just taking just kind of stepping out on going out on a limb um, probably more than I even realized at the time like was there anything that you did that you, at the time that you thought I'm taking a big chance here or you just didn't look at that I mean definitely yeah definitely like say the first time I came to Canada that was probably in August of that year so I was 18 um, and I think I probably spent I, so I played for six months and I s- saved up you know two thousand dollars or whatever it was and I spent that on a ticket to Vancouver and I literally yeah I think I arrived in Toronto with like thirty dollars or something you know something like that in my in my bank and it wasn't I mean if I ever needed money my mum would I would probably ask my mum and it would have it's not like I would have been homeless or anything but it's still um yeah it's still you know you're taking a bit of a chance and luckily I plan to ask your mum yeah luckily it it, it paid off. Um, so what was the thinking? Why Canada? Why, why Canada as opposed to US or Europe? Um, I did those later. Uh, I think Canada, I was just, I was playing some shows with Oka, who are this band in Australia. And I think they just come back from Canada and they were like, you got to go. It's awesome. You got to go and play it. They'll, they'll love what you're doing. And, um, and they hooked me up with this one festival and, you know, as soon as you've got one gig, you got to go. <laughs> and then, and it's funny, you know, because naive, like now I know I've learned some lessons with border crossings and having issues, um, you know, legally and tax wise and those sort of things. But at the time I like, I was very lucky to get in, in hindsight. Right. Like I just, I don't think I had a return ticket, which you're not really allowed to do. And I didn't have any money. So what year was this? This was, uh, what, two th- like 10 years ago, t- 2008. Oh, okay. All right, so, yeah, the world had already changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then, so what was that experience like coming to Canada and, and then finding yourself with $30 <laughs> in your pocket? Uh, it was great. I stayed, I stayed with a friend of a friend of a friend um, for a few days, and then the festival put me up in uh, that Delta Hotel near Young Street. Yeah. And then, uh, and then we, yeah, like that, that, that festival. This um, is the Busker Festival. Yeah. I think we sold like like 700 CDs or something. Wow. So we made like $15,000 from $30, you know. <laughs> it's like that's, you know, you take a chance. And, and that was, and then I was just like, like you got to keep doing this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, because you're out there all day. Like you're playing like 12 to 12 and you're just doing, I, I would do like, Two songs, then break and sell CDs and collect money. Then two songs, and then break. <laughs> then get another. You know, you get big crowds, yeah. and um, so it's a funny thing that people walk past those buskers and be like, "Oh, poor guy out there playing guitar." And, and <laughs> most of them are cleaning up. <laughs> well, I don't know if most of them were, but obviously, I mean, and you also have to deliver the goods. Yeah, yeah, that's right? it. So, yeah. Well, and then did you go back to Australia after that, or? Yeah, I went back to Australia and played some some summer festivals. I would say... Um, How well known were you in Australia at that point? N- not not well known. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I was very lucky. I would say that in the first two years out of high school, 
I was incredibly lucky to get into some festivals that it just wouldn't really happen now, 10 years later. Like I was somebody, I kind of had a show together, but nobody had ever heard of me, but somehow I was able to get into Byron Bay Blues Fest and Woodford Folk Festival, which are the two big ones. And then the next year when I came back... Sorry, to, but when you say well, you just kind of got in, how did that happen? I just, how does that happen? I just applied and, okay. and, they, and they accepted. <laughs> and then the next year when I came back to Canada, I was lucky to get into Vancouver Folk Festival, Winnipeg Folk Festival and Mariposa Folk Festival, which are wow. three of the big ones. Yeah. And that's as somebody that no one's ever heard of. So I was just... And I don't think... I think it's getting harder probably to get into those festivals. So I was very lucky... See, but I wonder about that concept of luck. And I've had this discussion with many people. I know it, it seems like luck, but I don't, I don't know if it is luck. Like I, you know what? Fortune? Well, I think you make yourself available and then things happen. You know, and I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, it is lucky. This don't, mm-hmm. <laughs> don't, but I don't know if it's just completely luck. And, and if you're getting into those three festivals or those five festivals that you mentioned... I'm not sure. It's got to be more than luck. Whatever you sent them, they had to be impressed with. Do you know what I mean? Maybe, like yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, maybe, yeah, I'd have to go back and ask those directors. And I should because I, cause I um, speak to them still. But may, maybe like looking back on it, one thing that I would say that I had going for me was that I was, I was doing something that was, that was diff, that, that was, I'm not saying that I was doing something revolutionary, but, but I was doing something that nobody else was, was doing. And I'm not on your first CD? Or you yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not saying that I was doing it well, <laughs> um, <laughs> or that it was any good, but, but I'm saying different. that I, I was, and, and I was also probably not really trying to be, I guess when, and this is a natural thing when people first come out and, and, and they're trying to be an artist, they'll naturally um, sound a lot like, you know, the people they're influenced by. And I would say that, maybe I'm wrong, but I would say that I probably, I didn't sound, I kind of sounded like its own right. thing, not, like say in Australia, for example, um, like John Butler and Xavier Rudd, they did so well. And that was about the same time. So there were a lot of my friends... Um, came out and they were doing that sort of one-man band, sort of rootsy right. um, stomp box thing, uh, which is great, but it is. But then, like, once you establish that, you've got to get away from it and become your own artist. And um, yeah. I think that I was fortunate enough not to, not to have to yeah. do okay. that. I mean, you know, if you got hired by one festival, maybe that would be luck. But if you got hired by all five, I'm thinking mm-hmm. you had something to offer and right. obviously something special to offer that they were interested in. But I mean that speaks a lot for you and in, in getting into those festivals because those mm-hmm. are all world class festivals. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so, what was that experience like to play in these festivals as a totally unknown? Um, it was incredible, um, particularly being so young. I think because I was also the youngest person on the bill, so to be like an, a nineteen-year-old from Australia that nobody have heard would have have heard of. I think it was really good in my progression as a, as an artist because I'm somebody that it 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 always take I was never if it makes sense I was always very sure of what I did but I was never super confident and it, does that make sense I think so How, where did that assuredness come L- from like I always I always felt like I was 
good at, I could do a good job and I was good at what I was doing. Maybe not confident isn't the right word, but I, but I never felt, I was never somebody that felt like, oh yeah, I should be here. You know, I deserve to, I'm, I'm up here with these. I always felt a little bit out of my league. Um, and so I guess getting to that level, which certainly a lot of the people in my generation in Australia hadn't, wouldn't, weren't doing, um, getting to that level and getting a really good response that gave me enough sort of reassurance that that I was possibly at that level and, and I could do this, you know, not only now, but I could do it for years to come and, and keep getting better. And, you know, as a guitar player, you'd always wind up in, at those guitar jams with all the, you know, some of the best guys in the world. I, yes. remember, I remember Tommy Emmanuel was at that um, Vancouver Folk Festival and obviously a kid growing up in Australia, you can't really escape that name. Um, and that was, you know, a frightening thing, but to be able to like, solo after he soloed and I don't think it was that bad um <laughs> that gives you a lot of confidence yeah sure. yeah I don't know if he, would he have appreciated what you might have been feeling at that moment I think one thing I would say about Tommy because I do know him quite well now um is that he is the most gracious and supportive guitar player on the planet and he may be the best a lot of people would say he is mm-hmm. but he is um for somebody that could probably walk on stage with any other acoustic guitar player and absolutely bury them in five seconds, he is the most gracious and supportive person I've, I've met in music. Right. So what has these experiences taught you? I mean, I think that would be one, what you just said. So if a young kid comes up and plays with you, mm-hmm. you might treat him differently. But what's the most valuable lesson you've learned on this journey that you've taken? Oh, um... I, I think the the big thing, and I might have, have trouble saying it, um, is that there's nothing there's nothing in the music industry that ever comes close to the importance of being good at music. Um, if you can get on stage and be really good at making music, then a lot of people will try and tell you, you know, you need um, this type of booking agent or you need to like work on you know what you're wearing or you need to be better at social media or um, you need to sell out more shows. I think that if you can keep getting on stage and being really, really, really good, it might take a long time. But I think that that is the, the sole most right, important right. thing. Um, and just the other thing I would, I would say that took me a while to learn was that you want to connect with people, not impress them. That's probably an important thing. Because for a long time I thought that I could just get on stage and be really, you know, be super fast and flashy and I'd impress everyone and they'd love me. Right. Um, but you realise pretty quick that not everyone in the world is a guitar player and not everyone <laughs> in the world cares about guitar playing. Um, so I think for me, like a big part of the connection is just, you know, physically embodying the passion that I have for performing. Um, so I would feel that a lot of people that come to the shows are not necessarily guitar fans, but they see that somebody's getting on stage and they're really passionate about what they're doing and it kind of, they can relate to it because they might be really passionate about, you know, dancing or, you know, playing hockey or boxing or whatever. Right. Um, but you can connect to, like passion is the universal language rather than, rather than music, I think. And how do you how do you separate the identities that you have as a player so that you were talking about doing your beautiful ballads or whatever, being a singer songwriter, 
versus your percussive, flashy guitar playing. How do you know where to insert what? Well, you kind of... You, you, you're always watching the contour of, of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and often it, it, often it sounds basic, but often it literally is just one song of this, one song of that, one song of this, one song of that, and then you might you know, scoop a low bottom of playing three softer songs right. and then finish with a big flashy finale or something like that. But I think when, you, when you're performing well and it's a good crowd and, and a good night, you can really, you know, after a while, you, you feel like you and the audience are sort of breathing together. And so it's almost like, you know, you know this is, this is going to be the right song for this situation. Um, but I don't, I don't write a set list, but my set list doesn't change a lot night for night. And I, and I, I feel like at the moment it's, it's, it's working. Did it take a while to get that sense of the audience? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it took a while to, um, to work out that just trying to blow them away song after song isn't going to work it's just going to be tiring and it's going to be tiring for you tiring for them um and it can be more meaningful uh, one thing i'd like to think is often when people try and sell my show or when they come to a show and talk about it afterwards they'll probably always be talking about the guitar playing they'll always be like yeah that you know he did this and this guy does that you know come to the show but i'd like to think that part of it what like part of the show that maybe means a bit more but they just can't put their finger on it is the softer stuff and the stories between songs and just the the overall personal passion Mm -hmm. um but the the kind of guitar playing is just sort of the the you know the 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 icing icing yeah yeah, that sticks out going back you go back to australia you do your festivals you Mm -hmm. come here you do your festivals at one point or did you decide to leave australia permanent come to america yeah um, how does how I, I don't know if it's permanent, but you made a decision to move to Nashville, is that correct? Mm-hmm. So, what what went into that thinking, and how did you make that decision? Um, it was about four four years ago, I think, but it had been probably a few years working on it, um, and it was probably when I when I signed to Fleming Artists, who are an agency based out of America, that are kind of a I guess for what I would do, they're sort of like the holy grail of, of booking agencies and, you know, they had the potential to really break open a lot of festivals and, and markets for me. Mainly mainly in the States or are they all over the world? They're, um, they're mainly in the States, yeah, and Canada. Um, and I probably got signed to them because of uh, what I was doing, starting to do in Canada. Um, Could you have stayed in Australia or was that out of the question in terms of making a living I, c- I could have definitely stayed in Australia in fact my eventual plan we'll probably get to this later but my eventual plan will be living back in Australia okay um basically it was like they signed me and said you know you should get the visa and come to America um but there's a lot of places to play in America and you can waste a lot of money and a lot of time flying back and forth from Australia so you know would you consider just coming out and living here for a while and touring as much as you can and at the time, I would have been, you know, 24. Um, Australia is like Canada in that it's a very big country with a small population, so it doesn't really, it doesn't take long to feel like you're you're starting to just go back to the same places. Right. As much as I do love going back to all those places, um, and at the time, you know, I was 24 years old. I was I was doing well, and I was very um, happy to go and live in America. You know, it was an exciting adventure for me, 
and um, yeah, so I moved out. The decision to go to Nashville was was um, based on a few things. My management was there. Um, it's kind of a central location to the Midwest market, the Eastern market, and the Southern market, and um, a lot of friends were there. It's a music city, you know. It's it's one of the most exciting places to live as a musician. Anywhere did you in the world. did the idea of all the songwriters? Living in a na- Nashville, did that have anything to do with it? Like, were you were you hoping that maybe you would hook into that and work with a lot of different songwriters in any way, or did that not matter at all? Um, I, I don't think that's ever been a big thing for me. And people ask me about it after every show, you know, because they know that I live there. Um, I think mo- a lot of people that come to Nashville, particularly in that country vein, are like they're artists that have come for some from somewhere. They want to do something. And they've moved to Nashville to make it happen, you know, mm-hmm. that whether it's to get a record label or whether it's to write or just play around town every night and try and get something. Mm-hmm. For me, it was very much a decision of I'm already on the path that I want to be. I'm doing what I want to do. Um, where's the best place for me to be based? Um, Nashville. And that might have been, you know, the fact that it's the biggest music city in the world it, it may have, you know, that's a good place to go back to you mm-hmm. know, and be surrounded by those people. But the idea of... um living and working in Nashville was never of any appeal to me. So do you do much work in Nashville? To be honest, when I'm in Nashville, I'm mostly sleeping. (laughs) I'm mostly uh, getting off tour and I've got five days off and um, my management's there, so we'll meet every day and we'll work on things. Um, I'll write songs, but usually by myself, just because I haven't... I've I've done some co-writing, but it's not my favourite thing to do. So I will write on songs, but purely just because I'm... I've got some time off, not not because I'm in Nashville, and and then I will go and see a lot of shows because some of the best guitar players in the world live there, and there's always something happening in that town. Right. Okay. So, are you playing? Like you were telling me that you do a lot of gigs. So doing this cross country, cross Canada country tour is not a big deal. Tell me about. Ideally, are you playing as much as you hope to be playing at this point in your life? Yeah, I think so. I mean. I, last year I played 280 shows. So 280? Yeah, that's a wow. lot. Um, and this is mainly traveling from different places. Yeah, mainly... This is not staying in one place and playing a lot of gigs in one city. No, it's pretty much one city a year. You know, I'll play Toronto once this year. Um, you know, Canada, US mainly, and then right. Australia would be probably the second most. Last year I did Canada, Europe, UK, Ireland, Japan, New Zealand. Um this year, the second half, there's a lot in Europe. Um, there's a big Australian tour in May, June. It's like 50-something shows. So it's even more. But um, I think I think for now, it's incredible. You know, I like being on the road and playing. I don't really like having a day off to sit in, sit in a hotel room. Um, but I know that eventually nobody can keep that up. And I, I probably won't want to at some point and probably won't need to at some point. So it will be... Um, playing less playing the cities that are better for me mm-hmm. and hopefully by then I will have you know built up enough to be playing I guess less shows for more people mm-hmm. is the ideal goal I mean do you have some goals like you said you talk to your management on a regular basis do you have goals do you set goals for yourself that says how many gigs you want to do or what kind of venues you want to do or you know what to do for the next album like, do, do you set goals no, not really. No, I I set um, n- not really goals. Like, say for this tour, I felt like I could come into Canada, and I felt like 
we could potentially sell out a bunch of the shows. Um, but I certainly wouldn't have been disappointed if we didn't or ecstatic if we did. Um, I know when I want to release the next project, I know that there's an album sort of eventually on the horizon, but there's no sort of pressure or set dates. Um, uh, is that something you work on constantly or is that something you start working on when you think that I need to do, put together a new album? I think you're always gradually working on it, but then it, it gets more intensified as, um, as you know, something. So at the moment it's very relaxed, like songs are just kind of popping up here and then or ideas and I'm, you know, trying things out. Um, but I, I guess towards the second half of this year, I'll be more in, intensely sort of working out what I, what I want the album to be and dropping, starting to drop into the studio and those things. Um, but as far as goals, I mean, no, I mean, we set sort of, um, we set timelines, but we're not setting sort of, you know, scoreboards or, or um, you know, benchmarks or anything right, like right. that. You know, it's okay. always just like, do, do the best you can. You know, and I know that sounds like you're coaching a 10-year-old soccer game, but that's, <laughs> that's just what I do and that's right, just right. what I do. Okay, so geographically, you've covered all these different countries. Was there a thought behind that or how, how did you wind up? You know, you, you obviously focused in on Canada initially, then you went to the States, you've gone to Europe, you're going to Japan. Mm-hmm. How did those things happen or how does that get done? Because a lot of people don't ever mm-hmm. get that chance, right? So yeah. how does it that you said we need to do a tour UK and it happens. Um, I guess that you get asked, you get people who are willing to help over there. And I mean, as just a human being, it's always nice to just go somewhere else. So Mm -hmm. as a musician, it's no different. Um, Specifically, this this is very specific, but so my manager managed Tommy Manuel for a long time, 15 years. And, so when she started managing me, she said to the agent that was booking Tommy in the UK and Ireland, do you want Daniel to come? And when he said yes, I s- do you want to come? I said, of course, I'll come. And so he set up dates. And once you've got a show, you've got to go. <laughs> that's, that's the rule. <laughs> and then so would you hope, are you hoping to do another 280 dates this year? Um, I don't know. The number is, um, I'll probably do less because March is mostly off. Um, for a reason? Like, are you planning to record or anything like that? Um, for my brothers getting married. Yeah, so I'm going back to Australia. And and just because it... Like, yeah, logistically, I guess... Um, there's some festivals in April that I'm doing in Australia. There's um, and a New Zealand tour. And then the Australian tour is May, June. And there was no, there was no reason to slot anything else right. in between them. Yeah, I think I am going to... Um, going to more intention have some more intentional time off I think last year I, I wouldn't say I was burned out but I would say that I probably played some gigs when I was would have been better off just sitting on a beach you know um, well okay so when I talk to a lot of musicians older musicians they talk about the fact that you know back in the olden days they would have six night stands uh-huh. in, in one venue and they would play one city, play six nights, go to the next city, play six nights. And that was like the best education. Mm-hmm. That was the best way of learning and putting in your miles, which sounds like you're doing the same thing except you're putting in the miles. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the goal, obviously, is to, 
to gain audience as much as possible and to cover as much geography as possible and then hopefully get to a next level where you're playing less gigs but bigger venues. Mm-hmm. Is that is that an easy thing to plan out for? Um, I, th- I think it's not really something you can make happen. So it's easy to plan out for in that you've just got to see how things go. Right. Um, so it, it is very just like, um, you know, it's, it, you see how, so this tool will, at the end of the tool, we'll talk about it and we'll say, um, you know, the Vancouver show sold out. It was 260 people. So there's a big venue down the road that's 350 people and we'll right. go into there next, next time. Um, Toronto show sold out tonight. Guelph is sold out tomorrow. So we might do two nights at this place next time, or we might raise the ticket, mm-hmm. same as Guelph. It's just a very piece by piece. And um, then I guess, you know, it gradually it gradually turns into something bigger, or it doesn't, you know, right. but the plan is that it does. <laughs> so before I knew you were living in Nashville, I mm-hmm. thought you were coming from Australia, and I thought, why would anybody tour Canada in the winter, especially mm-hmm. if they're coming from Australia? <laughs> but even if you don't live in Australia, which is summertime now, mm-hmm. Why did you decide to tour across Canada in the winter? I, just as a human experience, <laughs> you oh, know, really? I, I just really, I thought it would be interesting. You know, I tour all the time and often it's just very clean, easy driving and nice weather. Um, my best friend is actually from Winnipeg. He toured with me for five years around the world. He was the next tour manager. And so I, I've, a lot of my really good friends outside of Australia are actually in Canada rather than America. Um, and I'm just always speaking to them and they're always talking about winters and I always hear these stories and I'm somebody that considers myself like, I feel like I'm capable of getting through most things on the road. Um, as in, I don't feel like it's as big an issue for me as other people. So I I did want to come here and kind of challenge myself and see if I can do it. And and so far it's been, um, I've been very lucky. (laughs) How, okay, so we've had a bit of snow here. How mm-hmm. was it out west? Um, BC was great. A uh, bit of rain. When I got to Calgary, it was good. But then Saskatchewan and Manitoba, I got a lot of snow on the highway. Right. Um, which was fun. You know, I had good snow tires. and um, Yeah, and then it was very cold in Calgary when I left here. There was a bit of snow, but it was it was fine. I am... I'm not drinking alcohol and I'm trying to get as much sleep as I can. So I, and trying to wear warm things. I am paranoid about getting sick because I know if I got sick, then it would be very hard to yeah, yeah. get better. Well, I mean, it's um, also an interest, not an interesting thing, but you know, your job is to play in front of people and meet people mm-hmm. and you come in contact with a lot of people, some yep. who might be carrying yeah, yeah, colds yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So what well, you have to be very careful. About, mm-hmm. Yeah. Which makes sense. And it's and it's, and it's gone well so far. Good. But yeah, I'm looking. I'm I'm looking forward to getting out. I was in Newfoundland in the summer, so I know it's going to be a very different uh, <laughs> island when I get out there in a few weeks. So and you're going to St. John's and working your way back. Are you driving across? Yeah. So I f- I, I play. I drive to Halifax and then I fly to St. John's right. and I play St. John's, Lewisport, Cornerbrook, and then I drive back to St. John's to fly. I'm actually going oh, down to, down okay. to Kansas City to for Folk Alliance. Right. That's the first American. And have you done Folk Alliance before? Uh, three times, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, if if we go back ten years ago and said, 
Where would you like to be 10 years from now? Is this where you thought you would be? I know you didn't have plans, oh, yeah. but... Um, yeah, I really didn't have any, any vision. I would definitely be very happy, I would say. Yeah. Um, like, it just, you know, it's impressive, the places you've played and, and, and the geography you've covered. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're obviously getting a, a following, and, um, and it's worldwide, which is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean one, one guy that I always saw and was a massive fan of and thought I had, I thought had a really great career was Jeff Lang. I don't know if you've heard yeah, of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he's, a, he's an Australian folk blues guy. Um, and he's not the biggest artist, you know, but he's traveling around and getting a few hundred people, one to 300 people probably each night, um, and playing whatever he wants to play, which is sometimes very strange music. Um, and I thought like, that's just a, that's a cool job to be able to basically go around and do whatever you want and have a core audience of people that are willing to, to you know interact with you doing whatever you want um obviously the things with like people you know it's like human condition to um always want more once you've got something so my initial kind of I guess initially when I came out I thought the coolest thing would be for me to do music and not have to do anything else and then you know within six months I was kind of well I was kind of always there but I was playing kind of not very good pub gigs, you know, I was playing in the pub corner and getting paid 200 bucks and then moving on to the next town and playing in a pub corner. So you get there and then you realize, oh, well, I mean, I'm not having to do anything else, but this isn't very good. You know, now I want to be doing these festivals or something. So I guess it's just a natural kind of human thing to always want more. But I think, yeah, if you, if you look at sort of what I get to do now, I'm, I'm very, very lucky. Um, because I know a lot of musician friends that, that don't get to, that don't get this freedom or kind of for whatever reason had to stop doing it or, you know, just sort of retire back to more working musicians in their, in their own city, that sort of thing. But do you worry about, I know you said 280 dates was probably more than you probably wanted to do, but do you worry about that kind of devotion to time in terms of having relationships or, you know, seeing your family or whatever, if you're on the road that much time, as much as you're making new friends, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a different thing than, having close friends or people who you really care about. Does that, I, I know, I know you're still young, but mm-hmm. does that ever enter into your mind? Um, it, it enters into my mind, but not as a worry because I, I really feel like if I break it down, I could quite easily scale it back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I would be worried if, it, if things weren't continually getting better, but particularly in the last, I would say like 18 months, things have, have kind of got, um, progressively better in that um, no one ever wants to talk about money but say like this tour I will make probably three times of what I made the last time I toured Canada and probably the Australian tour will be the same you right. know so if it was like if I was just going back and grinding it out and doing the same numbers then maybe it would get hard and I'd question but if it I, I really feel like it's it's going somewhere and I'm happy with um, I'm happy with that Right. so musically you were talking about singing pop before in front mm-hmm. of a band. And obviously you have um, some love of pop music. Yep. Is that ever a goal in terms of your songwriting to try to write songs that will be, be a pop hit? Or do you not think that way? Do you just think about this is the music that I create, therefore I'm not trying to force anything? 
Yeah, I think um, I certainly never think of, of being a pop hit, but I I do listen to a lot of pop music, um, mostly because I because I enjoy most of it. Um, I find that most of it is 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 really a lot of it is beautiful music, just kind of dressed up differently for a more um, mm-hmm. you know consume you know mass sort yeah. of market. Um, but I I guess you want to. The, the main pattern in pop music is kind of catchiness. And I like that. I like kind of catchy hooks or beautiful melodies that, that people can sing to. Um, so I, I'm, I would sort of, you know, I'd love to, to write songs that could potentially be in, on the radio, but I would never be disappointed if it wasn't because I do understand having been in an industry for so long that um, there is a lot that goes on behind it um that has nothing to do with the music right you know there's there's um those songs would never be there if they weren't great songs but there's a lot of other great songs that right. will never be there because they don't have the money behind them or the people behind them you know and how do you view the business because there is that side of the business where mm-hmm. it is like the star making machine and there's a lot of money being poured into getting the airplay or whatever um and you're obviously not at that level, mm-hmm. but you're obviously climbing up. Do you, do you look at the business of music as something that encourages you, or do you find it a nasty little thing? Or like, how do you look at the business yeah. side of things? Um, I think I think it's very exciting for what I'm doing because I think that people who are good, people who can tour, if you can play a lot and you can play well then that's the best, that's what's going well in the industry, you know, um, rather than people trying to, you know, sell recorded music. Um, yeah, and, and I also think that I'm, I'm very detached from, from any of that stuff anyway. You know, I'm very focused on just playing venues and trying to get people along and I sell my music at the gigs in CDs or, you know, these people go and buy them on iTunes or you know, listen to it on Spotify. I'm very um, yeah detached to anything sort of record label based. Not that I'm not into it, but it's just never come up. And and so I've just I, I've always been in the industry. I've always just you know just do just do what I can do. Um, I've never kind of chased any anything bigger. No, yeah. um, and once again, it's if you deliver the goods, then hopefully. They will come. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yep, yep. Well, I really appreciate you taking this time. It's been yeah. a real pleasure getting to know you. Uh, it's always, thank you very much. It's always great to talk about music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what a thrill. Thanks a lot, and good luck on the rest of the tour. Thank you. Uh, I'm having a lot of fun. Okay.